Hello and welcome to the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches for those of you who love to look at the game in minute detail. My name's Harry Brooks and I'm joined by Richard Webster. Hello, mate. Hi, mate. How are you? You good? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I feel like I say this every single week that is prevalent to us. Maybe that's why we discuss it, but this is definitely prevalent to us. We're talking about one-to-one coaching today, aren't we? It's, uh, it's probably our bread and butter in terms of what we do for a living, isn't it? It's definitely one of the main things, mate, and it's obviously a, a thing that we're quite passionate about and we've got a lot of experience in as well. So I think it's going to be quite a good show, yeah. Yeah, so I put out a tweet yesterday um, basically asking uh, our avid listeners, all, uh, all five of them, um, what, kind of topics, uh, what kind of topics would, uh, would you like me and you to discuss today? And, and one of the responses was um, about one-to-one coaching. So I thought, yeah, we haven't really done one on that yet, so, so why not? Um, one-to-one coaching is something that's uh, exploded in recent years. When I was growing up playing, I mean, I'm 26. When I was growing up, growing up and playing, it wasn't really a, uh, wasn't really seen as a thing. I'm sure it happened, um, but you know, wasn't really a thing. And then I've been one-to-one coaching myself for a good, I don't know, eight years. You've been doing it for a lot longer. Um, but even in the time that I've been doing it, I mean, the amount of new one-to-one coaches that I see. It feels like every week now. It's just insane, isn't it? It feels like everyone is a one-to-one coach now. Yeah, it is. It is a growing trend, mate, that we're seeing, and um, I do think it's necessary. To be honest with you, I think I think we're seeing a lot more a one-to-one coaching for a reason. Um, that's not to say all of it's all of it's good, but um, yeah, it's definitely something that's on on the rise, and we're seeing it happen more and more, and, and not just in. Um, not just in uh, you know the academy game or, or grassroots, but also at the professional level as well. Across all levels of the game, I think players are taking a bit more ownership of their game and seeing where they can make um, individual improvements. So it's definitely something that is like on the rise sharply. Just to explain, I'm sure you do know what one-to-one coaching is, but just in case you don't, it's literally just the coach and the individual, um, one player, um, that's working on their specific needs. Now, it could be a variety of things. It could be purely technical. It could be a bit of conditioning work. It's just you and the player. Um, and as you said, Richard, it's it's certainly necessary. Uh, and let's get into the reasons why it's necessary. So the main reason is that it's specific attention. And specific attention, when you're, where football is a team sport and, you know, you're playing for teams, et cetera, and group training, um, there's often quite a few players and there's very rarely the time for players to get the specific individual attention they need. So therefore, where are they going to get it? Well, they go to the one-to-one coaches on the outside, don't they? Yeah, I think um, I think that provides a, a really good service and I think you're dead right. And unfortunately, sometimes we go to group training, it can be quite generic what you're receiving, um, but your skill sets can be very, very different. And, you know, not every coach or ne- not every group or not every academy or whatever has the ability or the logistical ability to, to cater to everyone's needs. So I certainly think one-to-one training can help a player a lot, um, especially in, in terms of specific needs like you just spoke about. And then also in, in terms of the technical attributes that they might want to brush up on. Um, and that yeah. could be for all areas for all areas of the pitch. Um, but I also think it's important to note that if we're talking about um, helping a player to develop and an, an overall player, then one-to-one training should be part of their um, training program, not the only thing that they do. It oh, should, of course, it yeah, should, yeah, yeah, um, 
Yeah, and obviously I know you you know this and I know this and a lot of most of the one-to-one coaches realize this as well, but some people don't. Um, so it really is to accentuate group training. It really is to um, give the extra benefit and the technical specific work. Um, it shouldn't be instead of group training um, because, you know, it's a team sport at the end of the day. So a good one-to-one training can be a massive, massive benefit if it's done in conjunction with group training and it's part of your overall uh, training program. I think that the benefits are massive. Well, let's talk about the different age groups and the categories that might do one-to-one training and go through it that way. Uh, let's start at the top. I think a lot of people would be very surprised just how many professional footballers, even at the highest level, I'm talking about the multi-multi-million pound footballers, um, how many of them do extra one-to-one training? Um, people on the outside, they probably think, well, surely they're getting enough training from their groups, but it's or from their team, sorry. But when you think about it, not really, because let's say you go at the top of the top and a team that plays in Europe, how often in a season do you have, or do they have three three games a week? So therefore, their training is centred around preparation for the game, tactical training, recovery from the games. So, you know, you can look at a, a player and think, well, his touch should be better or his passing should be better. But then why should it be better? Because the club haven't got the time to go and work on that individual aspect. So when are they going to really hone down and improve it? Well, they're going to do it by going to people on the outsides and doing one-to-one training. And that's what a lot of them do. A lot of them do. And uh, I think people would be amazed at just how many do it. And again, even at that level, it's so, so important that the benefits you can get, the improvements you can make. Um, if we speak to speak about one specific example, it became common knowledge because, uh, you know, we are allowed to post a video. Um, Stephen Bergbein, now we haven't trained him yet, but uh, our friend Ronnie in, in Holland, he's his strength and conditioning trainer. He's his guy. And he was saying that, you know, since he joined Spurs and Ronnie came over when, the, when he was allowed to, obviously, they had a specific program that he was doing with Ronnie that helped him shed shed weight and become leaner and improve his performances on the pitch. And, you know, he probably wouldn't have felt that he made those gains without the work of Rani. Um, so people would be surprised about the amount of people that, uh, or amount of players, sorry, that, that do seek extra one-to-one coaching on the outside. Yeah, and it's not just physical training either. It's it's not just a boost to your, you know, the athletic profile. Um, no, it's also technical example. training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I think there's a lot of technical training. Your point is correct about the time they have to spend um, on that type of thing at clubs. So obviously, when a, a player turns pro or becomes a professional footballer, they've already reached a certain level. But, you know, in my opinion, I know yours as well. Um, it, when we're talking about sports and football, you know, as our passion, um, it's about continuous improvement and about continuous development. Um, now, a lot of players will get better, obviously, with age and you'll mature and you'll learn the game and you'll become better. So you should be better at 24 than you were at 20 um, and so on and so on until you sort of reach a peak. And then, you know, f- uh, time takes over and, and then uh, you it all get falls a bit away. Lose- <laughs> it all falls away in your 30s. But, you know, there is a continuous development. But a lot of players get ahead of that with the extra work that they do. Um, so it's not just continuous development, like the natural development of, of becoming a more experienced player or learning the game or being around better players, which we, we do see a lot. Players mature and become much, much better as they go along, generally speaking. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of players now want to get that advantage and work on specifics. So it might be finishing, it might be technical attributes, you know, control of the ball. It might be specific movements. Um, 
And I think it's it's being used by all sorts of players, mate, from the pro game um, all of the way down. And and you're right in what you say. There's not the time during the week when it becomes about recovery. Then it's a, a fitness maintenance. Then it's match preparation for the next game. There's a lot of shape work. There's a lot of tactical work. Um, they're preparing for the game, um, the next match in the schedule, and they come so thick and fast. When is there the time to improve your left foot? When is there the, the, the time to improve um, your dribbling skills or, or whatever it might be, or different types of finishing? And there's a million different things you could talk about. So players, when they do have gaps, like to make advantage. Um, and it doesn't mean doing hours and hours and hours of grueling training because there's not the time for that and everyone's got a life to lead. Um, but it can just be small bits here of focused, really, really, and that's the key, yes. focused training. Um, that is not uh, generic, that's, that's catered to the individual, then I think um, you can see real, real benefits rather than just generic um, spending time with the ball. And that's a key point. One question I get asked as much as any is that, you know, um, what, what's what's enough training? And the, the answer is always the same. That there's, unless, you are, unless you're going overboard, there's not really t- such thing as too much training or I mean, there's definitely not enough training, but there's no such thing as too much training as long as it's the correct training. So, you know, I yeah, I travelled I travelled to Ipswich or Colchester, sorry, uh, last week to train one of our players um, for literally 40 minutes just working on footwork. Um, people might think, you've travelled all the way to Colchester for just 40 minutes. I'm like, well, yes, because as you said, it's specific attention to very important detail. It doesn't always need to be an hour and a half of, making the players' lungs fall out their backside. It's it's attention and it's specific attention, especially as players get older. Um, purely what you need, because as as players get older um, and they get into the professional game, the things they need to be good at um, becomes funneled um, and you actually scrap away quite a lot of things that you don't need. So if we lose, if we use, I don't know, let's say Jordan Henderson for an example, I'm sure at 12 years old, he was scoring goal after goal, um, running past players, um, you know, able to do lots and lots of different things. But as he's got older, his game has had to become a lot more specific because he's now playing professional football. So he's required to do a specific role in his teams. And his role for Liverpool, for example, is to be the the energetic presser, the one that passes, passes forward quite a bit, doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, create the chances um, but he's just become that specific player. So, you know, Jordan Henderson doesn't need to work on finishing per se. He doesn't need to work on um, his skill with the ball and his ability to dribble because that's not what's required from him. So he's probably lost those things away. So as you get older, the work has to become even more specific to what's completely relevant to you. Um, and that's where the work and the attention to detail is so important because, again, as we've said, there might not be the time in the club's to go and do that so you've got to take it upon yourself to go and make those improvements and obviously as you get older the improvements you make I think become as you know become smaller and smaller but it's football is a game of fine margins and you only need to improve a little bit at times for it to make the world a difference so is your touch a little bit cleaner or is your passing a little bit cleaner Um, are you a little bit lighter on the feet for example and you know, it's not like the improvements you're going to make at like the age of six till ten, where it's vast. It's more specific, but it's so important that players take it upon themselves to do that. 
Yeah, and that's the sort of thing we, we hear about this in other sports all of the time. And maybe football's a little bit shy sometimes to, to uh, embrace this sort of stuff. But we hear about marginal gains. So this is something we talk about in athletics. Cycling was a big one. Um, they're talking about marginal gains all the time. That's why they were successful over the years, bringing home lots of cycling medals. And that's just small improvements making up to um, making a, a big difference in the athlete or the player. So, um, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, mate. It's, and, and it's important, like you said, to make that distinction, how training or how individual training might change, depending on the age of the player, depending on the, um, on the process and where the, where the player is in their journey. So, like you rightly say, an older player, it's not that the other skills become irrelevant but they have a certain role to perform and there's certain functions that they, or certain movements and techniques that they rely upon much more than others. So Jordan Henderson, finishing practice, I'm sure he does some because he, you know, he's, he's got a good shot from range. And, uh, but I, I would have thought his finishing practice is probably more than enough what he does at the club um, because you know, he's not expected to get a certain amount of shots away per match. Now he's expected to be competent at shooting and he's expected to pitch in with a few goals here and there. But it's not high up the list of um, things that he would be working on. Whereas if you look at, I don't know, Riyad Mahrez, for example, Riyad Mahrez is going to, you know, he's going to live and die by his, um, you know, in a football sense, <laughs> he's going to live and die. He's going to be judged by his um, ability to separate, his ability to separate from players. And what's needed for him is the, the, the first touch, obviously, is key. The weight of that touch, direction of the touch is it's things like the feint, the body swerve, uh, the disguise. And then they finish off both feet. So really, really specific things that, that that player would need to work on can be totally different. And then if you're looking at goalkeepers or centre-backs, it might be about um, certain types of long passes that they play. And that, that, and that in itself is an art form. People think uh, when a centre-back is able to ping a ball 60 yards or whatever. And I, a, a big, big favourite of mine in the Premier League, and he doesn't get as much credit as he, as he should, actually, is David Luiz. So if we look at David Luiz, um, just as the overall player, now there's plenty of criticism comes his way for certain things, right? And it's very easy to jump. Oh, he does this, he does that, he loses concentration, all of these. Okay, but if we strip away all of that and we, we go to the player and say, what is he good at? What, what can he not do? You'll struggle to find a better long-range passer of the football than David Luiz. Um, and what I mean by that is that's, that's something, that's not just his ability to hoof it really, really far. It's got to be accurate. It's got to be with pace. It's got to be with a certain fade on it so that it goes behind the fullback, but, it, you know, towards your winger, you're playing it towards or whatever it might be. That's something that's worked on for, for hours and hours and hours. Um, and that's helped him to, to achieve a game at the, or, or a, um, a career at the very, very top of the game. It's one of his main attributes. Um, and that's the sort of thing that takes hours on the field. Now, there's other stuff that he can't do um, that's perhaps less relevant to him. But that's that's just an example of like the the little small details that can mean so much that could be worked on in one to one training. But that's really at the top end of the game. That's at the top professional level. Um, I think it's really interesting to talk about working with younger players as well when it becomes more about overall uh, game while you still can. So so gaining a level of technical excellence uh, while they're still young. Well, let's yeah, um, let's I, I let's, drop, yeah, let's drop down the category then, because we've done that. We've we've talked about the, the the pros and the ones that have made it as uh, one of a better phrase. Let's talk about the the sort of like the academy players or the or the or the young teenagers, and let's go to that stage now. Let's drop down the stage and talk about the players that are 
are really trying to make it, but have obviously got a long way to go and how important it is for them to do it. Um, well, we work with a lot of these academy players, Harry, so we know it's important um, and, well, crucial, really, that there's that I mean, it's such a competitive game and um, it's such a competitive industry. Everyone's looking for an edge. Everyone's looking for a way that they can get ahead. And I think adding individual training, it could be on your own, it doesn't have to be with a coach, but adding really good individual training to your programme um, can really make massive difference to a young player trying to make an edge, whether they're at a club or trialing for a club or trying to get into a, a club. Um, I, I think it's huge. It's massive because at the end of the day, these are really, really talented players, um, but they haven't made it yet. And there's a lot of things to work on. And a lot of the reasons as to why they need to do individual training will be the same as the pros because when they're at their clubs, um, from your Arsenal's down to your, your, your Wickham's or whoever, um, there might not be the necessary time to work on the individual aspect of your game, except that the players haven't made it yet. And they might have aspects to their game that needs work, and it could be work that is the difference between them making it or not making it. So if you're, let's say, a fullback at the age of 17, and you're struggling with your crossing or your passing, you can't rely on the club to do that work for you. You've got to take it upon yourself to go and do the extra work on the outside because that could be one of the differences between you having a career and no career. Now, it wouldn't be just foot crossing or passing. Of course, there's other aspects to it, but that's just an example. But it's absolutely crucial that these academy players and players outside the academy that are trying to make it, they go do the extra work because... They are young. They they're not they're not the footballers yet. They've got a lot of work to improve on, and again, a lot of that work. And this is a issue we have had. We have spoken about the issue sometimes with the academies. Now, I'm not trying to stick it on them. They've got a very tough job, and there's some amazing coaches in there. But like we said, there isn't always the time or the. And if we've been on this, sometimes bad coaching, uh, the specific attention to detail needed. So you know, for example, we worked with a Man City under 23 winger. Um, his dad paid for us to do analysis for him. So I wasn't really training, but analysis. But, you know, he had basic weaknesses to his game. Um, For example, always receiving square, never with an open body. And we asked him, you know, have the club never told you about this? And and he said no. Um, So, you know, and he's, he's at a crucial age where he's tried to make it. Sometimes a a player can make it so far in terms of their size and physique that will give them an advantage. It could be in terms of power. And I'm not just talking about physical, but you know, you could you could um a bit earlier than others. So at 40. Let's see in the under 15s or maybe Kidori. Um, but there will still be gaps in your game that need to be rounded off. And this is quite a critical time because it's easy to get sort of um, swept up and think, well, I've got my path laid out. I'm going to make it as a professional footballer. I'm going to make my debut, all of these things. Um, but it's a hard and cold business. And, and players can catch you up very, very easily. And I always think 
especially players with a physical advantage, like players who develop earlier, so they're bigger in stature or whatever, faster. They have to realize that is normally a temporary advantage. Um, so if you don't round out your technical abilities and if you don't um, tick the boxes as much as possible um, for adding as many attributes that are going to be attractive as possible for your position, um, then you leave yourself open to um, being caught or being left behind or, or whatever it might be or your development not not being as rounded or as full as it could be. And um, uh, your point about the clubs, I mean, I'll give you an example. I work with a player, you know, Harry, a cat one player, who I won't mention. And he needs to, he's a very, very fine player, plays out wide normally. Um, and he needs to improve his heading. And we know this. The club know this as well. So, oh, you need to improve your heading. Okay. But they've worked on it, you know, when, when they, the, the clubs are open. They've worked on it once every every two weeks. And we totaled it up. And he might get, he might get four headers of the ball because of the practice they're doing every two weeks. I'm thinking, well, it's a good job we do work on the outside then. Because when's he going to improve yeah. his heading? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you hit the ball, and that and that and that goes for everything. Like you mentioned, crossing earlier, it could be tracking back, it could be your shape when defending, it could be how to gain separation one v one, it could be finishing from crosses, it could be finishing from volleys, you could be attacking the back post, you could think of a million things. Okay, if you're not working on that specifically, if you're not working on the actions required, and then the technique uh, to carry out of that action, ideally off both feet, and at game speed, um, and match intensity then when are you going to improve it? Um, like I said earlier, you'll get that natural improvement that comes from having played more and played more games and, and being around the ball more, but that's often not enough. Um, and I think it's quite interesting to touch on as well, Harry, is that a lot of clubs um, sort of frown on the idea of, of outside work, um, but then they also realise that it's completely necessary as well. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that's the general vibe that we get from clubs? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when we we speak to good people in football, and there are a lot of good people as well as bad, but uh, a lot of the good ones we speak to, they're very appreciative of uh, of the work we do because at the end of the day, as long as you do a good job, we're improving their players, and and as long as it's sensible, I think if they understand that it's sensible thing, it's, work, it's good work and sensible work, yeah. then you know, then obviously if you're 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 beating the player up and you know you you're doing like an hour and a half explosive training sessions before. He goes to his academy. Yeah. They're not going to be appreciative of that, and that's where the coach has to have some really brain bad examples. There are well, some bad examples out there. So bad ones to our yeah. coaching, in our opinion, we are going to get onto that. But we're more talking about the broad well, not sense just, of of one to one coaching. No, no, I would say no. But you know, we are going to get onto to what we perceive as bad coaching. Um, but we're just talking about broadly at the moment uh, why players need one to one coaching, and then we are going to get into the bad, the bad side of it. Um, well, one thing I think we, we haven't spoken about yet in terms of a good thing um, about one-to-one coaching is not just the technical boost that it can give to players and the improvement and the development, which is obviously key and clear to see, um, but also the, in terms of the confidence um, in their play. So the more you get at it, the more confident you get in your, your ability to carry out that action. Um, and it could just be that you know, maybe you're a striker and you haven't found the net for a few weeks um, at club level or whatever it might be. And then a session banging shots in, um, you know, from different angles and different receives and, and, and different kinds of things, um, that can really do you wonders. Um, so it could be, you know, good good one-to-one coaching is not just about ball on the field, like you said, sweating your guts out, run up and down. It's not about that. Um, it's about helping the player, assisting the player in lots and lots of different ways. It could be, we've done this often. 
um, a bit of video analysis with a player. You're showing a player, look, this is what you're doing, not, you know, and this is a good example of what you should be doing. Can you see the difference between the two? Or, or this is a player you look up to, and this is how he does it. it can you try and emulate these movements? Because you know, young people, well, all people learn in different ways, and it could be that you need to be shown something. It could need, you know, you need to do something for yourself, or it could be that you just need something explained and and you need an example in front of you, so you're going to learn visually. Um, and I think that that could be a massive benefit of one-to-one training as well, not just like you said, balls on the field, run up and get a sweat on, which is quite basic. Yeah. Before we get on to the coaching. The one-to-one coaching that we don't appreciate. Let's uh, let's cover. I mean, there's more categories in this. But let's cover the youngest category, or the or the the, the players aren't at academies yet, but the ones that are the one-to-one players, you know, from the ages of six and up, uh, up to twelve or whatever, that are that are looking to be built, and the importance of that. Now, I've seen from your examples, and I'm very happy to say I'm seeing from examples that I'm doing. But you know, you more so than any, because you've been doing it for a long time, and you've had those projects that have gone from the age of you know, six, seven, up until 14s, 15s and older. Um, when you get players from a young age and you do good one-to-one coaching, players at that age and kids at that age, they're so moldable. They can yeah. be, I don't want really to use the word built because it's, that's an ugly word, but they can, be, they can be developed into players that can do absolutely absurd things in terms of talent and ability. I mean, I'm going to use I'm going to use usually the examples. So you know, again, I'm 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 very happy to say that you know there's projects I've got now that they're they're developing the way I want them to be developed. But you've been doing it for a long, long time, so you've had a few projects where you could say they got to not the end of their their journey, but where you're like, right, the play has kind of been built now, and uh, and now let's sort of like try to make them become a pro um, in terms of like the the work, the real key work that the one to one coaching does at that age and. You know, you've had plays that, you know, from as young as six, seven, obviously very basic, can't do anything with the ball. And then they get to nine, 10, 11, and I'm seeing them do outside of the foot juggling all day long. I'm seeing them play completely off both feet. I'm seeing them have an almost scary how perfect their touches and their control and their dribbling ability and their ball manipulation. And that's through, that's, that's possible because A, good coaching from yourself, and B, you've got them from a young enough age where their brain is moldable enough and they can have the the areas of development to go and do that. If you're getting a player for the first time at 15, for example, and their weak foot is awful, it's very unlikely that you'll ever get their weak foot to be as strong as their right foot. You've got to get it to be, you could, you could do a lot of work to become even maybe good or maybe very good, but that will take a ton of work. Whereas if you get a player from as young as six, for example, and you do the good work, I mean, they can be completely both footed by the age of nine, you know? Uh, yeah. I think so at those ages, the one-to-one coaching, I can't stress enough how important it is. If that's what you want. Yeah. I think like we said earlier, if it's done in function with group training, you've got to learn the game. You've got to learn matches um, to play match. And I think group training is brilliant in terms of, you know, just the feel and, and how you pull off of these moves that you do. But when I when I think about young players that I've trained, and I've got a few now, pro, had them six and seven, others are still still at great class, a young age. Um, my first um, starting is, obviously, you touched on it, ball manipulation and technique. That could be ball mass, 
So when you're at a young age, can you be friends with the ball? Can you fall in love with, with the football, you know? And, um, and that, that, that's just in the way that you, you are with the ball. So your touch, your feel. And it's got to be, for me, it comes from a point of enjoyment. So I've seen people do this slightly wrong. I've seen dads do it wrong and coaches do it wrong, in my opinion, where they're forcing drills or they're like, oh, do this, do this, do this. And it's, it's a case of the coach says, player repeats. And they've got to be careful not to go down that route where it is just a, a routine of coach says, ABC, player performs ABC. I think you've got to encourage and you've got to mold a player um, to be comfortable with football, be friends with the ball. And that could be done in loads and loads of different ways. So you put them in scenarios where they're receiving off both feet, they're giving passes back with both feet, spending time rolling the ball under the foot, ball manipulation skills. And then as they get older and older and older, what's, what tends to happen is as long as you're rounding out these technical skills, now the, the emphasis changes from technical ability and ball mastery into um, effectiveness. So becoming an effective, effective on the field. And the thing I preach probably more than anything, or one of the things more than anything, is move the ball, move the body. So I see a lot of coaches doing stuff um, stood still. You know, I'm a massive fan of skill. I'm a massive fan of using skills to teach players and and uh, and help players to fall in love with the game and be enthused by the game. I mean, stepovers, rollovers, Ronaldo's chops, Neymar's, everything, flip flaps, whatever you want. Um, and that's fantastic. Um, it's got to be done with an element of movement because football is a game of running and it's a game of skill. So they've got to be able to move um, in all of the actions that they do. When we pass and receive, for example, uh, you give a, a, a realistic pass, not a, not a two-yard roll, um, and you, you ask the player to move the ball with their first touch after a certain age, obviously. Um, so I think that's super important is aligning technique and ball mastery to what actually happens on the field as well. Now, that doesn't mean we don't teach rainbow flicks. That doesn't mean we don't teach double flip flaps. Of course we do that because we also, you know, you want to come from a point of love of the game. That's where I start off. And if you love flip flaps and you love rainbow flicks and that's what gets you enthused, by all means, you know, crack on. But then you've also got to round out and, uh, and fill the boxes of what are the actions you're going to perform more often than the fundamental um, of football. Um, so let's go yeah, back and, around, and, Dean. Yeah, well, let's yes. go back around because you've already kind of touched on it in like, you know, the one-to-one coaching and how how we disagree with a lot of way it's done and kind of how we do it. And touching on what you've said, I just feel that, you know, even when you get kids as young as six or seven, that the training looks militant. And, you know, there's, I, I, I've said, actually, I can always tell, let's say I get a kid a little bit older, 10, 11, 12. I can always tell if they've previously had a one-to-one coach. And I often mean that for a bad thing because they'll get the ball They'll take a million touches. They'll look fast, fast feet, but the ball doesn't go anywhere. They'll do skill, 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 head down, bang, 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 almost like, and then they kind of like done all of this in the space of like 15 seconds, haven't traveled anywhere, haven't changed speed, haven't changed size of touch, haven't played with their eyes up. And after the 10 seconds, it's probably almost like they're in a trance. They don't realize what they've done um, because they've just been drilled into them to do this turn now, do that turn now. And, and drilled, oh, well, drilled is the word. That's that's the word, drilled. And, yeah. and unfortunately, and that's, will, that is, they're not drills. They're practices. These yeah. Are and, and then I will ask training, that player, not drilling. okay, so you just show me that skill. 
that's, you know, fast feet, 100 miles an hour. It hasn't gone anywhere, but you've shown me the skill. And then I'll know what's going to happen is I'll ask them, okay, do a basic footwork pattern where you're moving the ball, as you said, showing the ability to actually manipulate the ball and showing you can actually master the ball. So can you go both ways using both parts of it? Can you go both ways using outsides and insides? Can you use foot roll push? Can you actually move the ball? And they'll do it and predictably, no, they can't because they haven't actually ever been coached or allowed to just learn how to be comfortable with the ball. They've just learned how to do skill, skill, skill robotically rather than actually be coached how to be with the ball and move the body, move the ball, as you said, and how to have good habits. And, you know, how many sessions do we see where they get seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds and ah, a million touches, ball doesn't go anywhere. And then it's like, do this turn, do that turn, do this turn, do that turn. I'm like, when is a player ever allowed to interpret? Because football is all about interpretation, being able to think. You know, we, 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 like, we love creativity and creativity isn't telling a player what to do. Now, again, there's a balance because let's say that you are, you have got a player and you're building them and you're helping them, you know, you're coaching them. Then, of course, you teach skills and you might tell them to do the skill so they show they can do it. But there's a balance between sort of every now and again telling them, OK, show me this and then doing it and also giving them the freedom to actually play how they see the game. And working it on their own and go both ways and have complete control of the ball. So, you know, you're seeing that's... a lot of players now that have, it looks on, and it, again, they're kind of like the YouTube players or the Instagram players. Like, it looks like the drill looks amazing on, 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 online because there's like a million cones, there's ladders, there's hurdles, and the player's doing everything 100 miles an hour. But none of it's relevant to the game. Well, it's very, it's very rarely relevant to the game, but it looks good on Instagram. It looks good to the naked eye if you don't understand. But actually, you're not really improving the player much because it's not specific to the game. It's not relevant. Um, and you see that all the time. I would actually say you see that with far more one-to-one coaches than, than not one-to-one coaches. Well, that you mentioned something there, mate, and that's the unfortunate side of it is things like social media and Instagram. Now, unfortunately, there's an awful lot of... Look, I know tons of good coaches, great coaches. Yes, um, yes. And they're, doing, and, they're, and they're doing good work. And Normally before you speaking, carry on... Uh, sorry, before you carry on, we don't want to come across like we're the best and this is how you do it. There's no, loads no, of ways. No. There's loads of ways to do it, and there's no right answer. We're just saying that actually, we personally believe that even though there's no right answer, and there's loads of great coaches, actually, there's far too many wrong answers, you know, and bad ways of doing I it. In our opinion, I, yeah, and I think there's just things. There's, there's just pitfalls that some people fall into in terms of things looking good. Like you say, just because it looks good doesn't mean that it is good. Just because it looks pretty doesn't mean that it's going to be effective. Like you said, doing things on the spot now. It, I see some of these training sessions and, and I know exactly what you're talking about where it's all done on the spot and it's moving and it's in a very, very tight space and it looks it looks marvellous. The, the feet, you can't deny the feet are definitely moving fast. <laughs> now, what relevance <laughs> that, that, you know, what resemblance that bears to football is another question. Um, and I think that's the confusion sometimes. And um, what, what, what that is, is that's a workout. That's not a football session. That's not a training session. That's a workout. Like, you know, if you go and do boxer size, for example, you're not boxing. It's boxing exercise. You're not boxing. It's very different from boxer size. Um, you know, so don't don't confuse the two. That's a football dance almost, or a football, like like I would say, a dance workout with a football at your feet. Very different from a technical training that's actually going to improve a player. And unfortunately, parents, especially when we talk about young players, a lot of the parents, oh, a lot of them, they don't know what they're looking at. 
and say, oh, yeah, little Johnny threw the ball 100 times but or touched the ball 100 times. And that could be a good starting off point. Then it's got to be effective. It's got to be things that are fundamental to the game. And I use that word again, fundamental. It's the best coaches I know, the best coaches that I've learned from and I've been mentored by, it all comes down to the fundamentals. I just want to quickly say, you mentioned something just in there or touched upon it about, um, and I think it touches on how a player feels as well. So I'll give you another example. I worked with a player uh, who's now with uh, Tottenham in the under-18s, worked with him for a very, very long And he's one of the most skillful players I've ever had the, had the pleasure to work with. Just a, a completely comfortable footballer in terms of ball mastery. Now he's added a lot to his game to make him an effective footballer. So he's added ability to separate and then to be effective, to finish, to shoot and to cross and provide assists. There's so many things he's added to his game. But when I first got him, he was skillful. When he first came across me and we started this project, he was a skillful, creative player. My job then, or I see it as a coach's job then, is harness that and say, okay, so that's how you see the game, okay? Now, what we don't want to do is veer too far away from how the player sees the game. I think some coaches don't take that into account. Like, get to know your player. You might want your player to do X, Y, Z. He doesn't see the game like that. So if he doesn't see the game like that, you're not going to get him, you're not going to get him to perform that, him or her, sorry, to perform that to their best ability. They just don't see the game like that. At the end of the day, they're the one who has to play. They're the one who feels it. They're the one who fell in love with football because of their reasons. So try and accentuate what they do and what it is that makes them them rather than I'm going to make you this in my image. So I think that's something to be careful of as well. Just And like you say, it touches on creativity. It shouldn't be coach says, player does. It should be you're creating an environment where you're allowing a player to express themselves and then you're tweaking them, improving them and developing them and pushing that towards being an effective fundamental. Would you agree? 100%. And I just, yeah, I think it just, you know, a lot of it is looking good. I mean, I see a lot of coaches now and let's look at some specifics as well. So for example, I see a lot of coaches and they've got those weird um, sort of like uh, semi-circles that you stick in the ground. So basically the ball can roll through them. And I'll see like a coach like yeah. train a play from the young as six and they say to the player, you've got to try and touch it through the semicircle. And the, the kid is like six years old. And like, he was moving the ball. And then he's completely stopped moving the ball just to try and get it through this gap that doesn't need to be there. And that's just one example. I mean, that has a benefit in the play. He's not learning how to move the ball. He's learning how to... That's not real. And, they, you know, other stuff like... I'm seeing like nine-year-olds with ropes attached to them. And it's like... Or like yeah, seven year old. Oh, my gosh. I mean, or yeah, I've seen like, 10-year-olds and athletes on all sorts of nonsense, mate. And it's and just, like, that comes and, from a lack and, of education. Yeah, and they're like an eight-year-old with like this doing like ladder work. And it's like, well, okay, but it's, it's understanding what the players require at certain stages. So for me, you know, those ages of, I mean, you said it a lot. I mean, those ages from like six to 12 or whatever, they're golden ages of like getting a player to be able to do amazing things with a ball and how they see the game. And getting them to build themselves as a getting them to build themselves, as you said, how they see the game in terms of a young football and what they live for. Those are golden ages for developing that player. And are you really gonna waste those golden ages on getting a player to do like, you know, ladder work when that could be done later on? Because that could be done later on. At that age, yeah. At that age, you'll lose stuff. If you don't work on certain stuff at that age, you're not gonna get that back at the age of 14, 15. That's gone by now. That player's 
ability yeah. to develop that is gone. But the lab. Well, I believe work, technique can, can be later. improved. I think technique can be improved uh, at any age. But yeah, I do believe those golden years. Um, it can, no, it, of course it can. What I mean is, that in terms of like, but it's rapid you get improvement 15. when you're younger. Yeah. Yeah, but it's exactly. just not the time. You can't you you exactly. can't work on everything. That's that's the point. When you're when you're eight exactly. years old, nine years old, you you can work on everything. Um, yeah. Because there's less time pressure and there's less. You know, they're not play, they're not training for the club four times a week with a match of the weekend, and the the games aren't as grueling. Um, working with a fifteen year old who plays academy football, um, it's hard to get the time. They train three, possibly four times a week. They have a match at the weekend. It's it's grueling. It's physically taking a toll. And because of how they've gone physically well, you know, they've hit their teenage years, uh, there's a lot of growth going on. Um, muscles are changing, body's changing rapidly. Um, it, it, you, you don't have the time to work on every single technique. While they're young, technique, 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 be with the ball, ball mastery, enjoy the ball, fall in love with the ball. And I see, I see sometimes you'll have a 10-year-old and a coach will do half the session on fitness and running. I'm like, well, do a fitness session, but that's not a football session because we can get him. We can get him fit. We can get the player fit. We can get. We can get them fit later on. Um, but like you said, you're losing these moments. He could have. He could have been spending time passing the ball with his left foot. They. They, they could have. You could have been. You know, controlling the ball out of the air. You could have been touching the ball with different parts of his of, of both feet, using different surfaces. Um, learning to master the ball. And if it's that, um, the session with the ball will be. You know, you'll get fit anyway. You will get fit with the ball. Um, if it's done correctly, so I see it. Yeah, but there's some great examples as well. Just one thing to be careful is, is uh, and you said earlier, there's no such thing as overtraining. But you can do, you can do silly things. Like I've seen, yeah, of course you can. Training, uh, you know, the morning before, you know, on the day of a match, fitting an hour session in when they've got a match two hours later, absolutely bonkers. Um, you know, when you're overdoing it and it becomes, if it becomes grueling, if it becomes a grind, then you've done too much. It should be enjoyable, yeah. and the player should want the player should be wanting to do it uh, as a start off point. So as soon as it becomes a grind, as soon as it becomes something that they're not looking forward to, then you need to tweak things because you're probably doing too much, or it's too much drilling and not enough, um, you know, uh, actual effective coaching. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So I guess that pretty much wraps up, Richards. That you know, one to one coaching is an amazing thing. It's something that is definitely key to improving yourself as a footballer as long as it's done correctly. And I guess that's the message, isn't it? 100% one-to-one play, mate. Um, it's one of my favourite subjects. But yeah, I think in conjunction with group training um, and learning the game, I think, yeah, the way to learn the fundamentals and gain a, an advantage in the game, one-to-one training is a massive benefit to players. And, and we're going to see more and more and more examples of, uh, of top professionals uh, using it as we as we go along 100% so all that's left for me to do is say thanks to Richard thanks mate yeah no me too thanks to you guys hopefully you enjoyed it stay safe and see you soon